0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I want to start by saying that I am very grateful to you all. Uh, Y'all have truly demonstrated to my family once again the love of Christ and the love of God through your prayers, uh, through the food that was sent to our house, and through people helping out with the kids while Jesse was sick. Uh, I I cannot thank you enough for all of your help. It was an immense blessing to us, and I am so grateful to be a part of this family uh, that loves Jesus and shows my family how much you love Jesus. I am grateful for your encouragement. Whenever I got here this morning, I was told that uh, our amplifier is down, so our speakers are down, but like Zoom people can hear and online can hear, and I was reminded of a class that I teach on Wednesdays where sometimes I have this classroom. There's 80 people in the classroom. It's really long, and the batteries to the mic are dead sometimes. And so I'll tell you what I tell my students whenever that happens, that when I'm yelling, I'm not mad at you, I promise. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody hears what is said. Um, This morning, what I'm going to be doing is continuing giving the last portion to a a sermon that I gave a couple of months ago about responding to rulers. And we're going to be talking about responding to rulers in prayer this morning. But we want to start off the same way that we started last time in getting first things first and reminding ourselves that it is God who rules? Because if we get this backwards, if we forget this part, we're going to mess all sorts of stuff up when it comes to our response to our rulers. In First Samuel chapter 8, we have the instance where the Israelites end up rejecting God as king when they asked for a king over them. And we don't want to be like the Israelites. We don't want to be like them in rejecting God as king. And so we have to be mindful of that when we consider those who have authority over us and we consider the way that we respond to them. The other thing that we have to keep in mind and why this is so important to keep in mind that uh, God is the one who reigns is that this is a part of the gospel message. In Isaiah chapter 52, when it's talking about the good news that is coming, the good news that is the gospel, that good news there in Isaiah 52 is that your God reigns. It is our God who reigns, and that's good news. And when we mess that up, when we completely forget about that because we're thinking about our authority figures in this world, we distort the message of the gospel. And we cannot allow ourselves to do that. We cannot allow ourselves to forget that it is God who reigns and there is no one above him or else we water down the gospel message. And so as we turn our attention to how we respond to our rulers, we have to make sure this is the first thing and it is the constant thing throughout. Last time, just in case you don't remember or you did not hear, when we talked about responding to rulers, we talked about responding in submission and how we had to respond in submission. Sometimes when we don't want to, we have to respond to submission. But there are other times when we are not supposed to. But the difficulty is at times we think we're in one situation when we're really in the other. Sometimes we think that we don't have to submit, but we're really in a situation where we should. Or sometimes we think that we are, you know, we should do what these other people want, but it's actually our own idolatry carrying us that direction. When we make the choice of submitting to our rulers, we, that choice needs to be made in light of the fact that it is God who reigns that has to be the driving focus of our attention. The second thing we talked about last time was the way that we respond to rulers in criticism. And I began by asking the question, can we even respond in criticism? And by looking to, to some examples of, of the John the Baptist and Jesus, we saw that there is a need to respond in criticism to our rulers, but there's some specific, some specific ways that we should do it. And we have to do it in ways that we're naming sin as sin without partiality where we call out what is wrong when it is wrong. We just name sin. That is our goal. It doesn't matter if they're on the blue side or the red side. We name sin as sin, no matter who does it. And we criticize and hope of their repentance. We don't do it for self-vindication. We don't do it to earn points for our team. We do it because we hope that this person that we criticize, this soul, this person made in God's image who rules over us, whoever it may be, will repent. That should be our hope. Because it's God who reigns, not them. And in light of the fact that it's God who reigns, we hope that God will change them. And when we criticize, we make sure that we are not doing it disrespectfully. Or with cursing. And this is very countercultural today, right? When you look around and you see how people criticize our political leaders, you can see that there's a lot of disrespect going around. And we talked about how if you were the sort of person who called Donald Trump a clown, then you needed to repent. Or if you were the sort of person who calls Joe Joe Biden a uh, Grandpa Joe or enjoys the Let's Go Brandon phenomenon, then you're the sort of person who needs to repent Because that's not coming from a place of, I want this man to be better. That's coming from a place of, I want to tear down. And that's the sort of heart we cannot have when we address our leaders. And so this morning, we're going to be turning our attention to this last thing that I talked about last time that we would be talking about, which is responding to our rulers in prayer. And again, this comes from a mindset of it is God who reigns. It is God who rules, and that is the driving motivation for why we pray for our rulers. I want to start with a question, though. This is a scenario. What do you think my wife, Jessie over here, would be trying to convey to me if she came up to me and she said, Dustin, I wish you would just talk to me. I wish you would just communicate with me. I wish you would just open up, and I wish you would do it with joy. What do you think she would want from me if she was saying this to me? You know, I'm, I'm pretty thick-headed sometimes, but I can even understand that. When she says the same thing basically three times in a row, like I'm really understanding what she's trying to say. I'm picking up what she's putting down. She wants me to talk to her. She wants me to actually engage in conversation with her, right? When she says something three times in a row like that, it's emphatic. She really wants it, and I know what she wants. And it's the same sort of thing that we have going on in First Timothy chapter 2, in verse 1, where it says, First of all, then, brethren, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving may be in behalf of all people, for all kings, and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. These first three things that Paul is urging for here, requests, Prayers, intercession, they all have this prayer meaning to it. The request sometimes is translated supplication. Other times in the Bible it's translated prayer. Intercession there, it is what it sounds like. You are interceding, and sometimes it's translated prayer. Three times Paul is saying, basically, I urge that you pray, 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 and give thanksgiving. What do you think Paul wants us to do? What do you think God wants us to do for all people, for kings, for all who are in authority? He wants us to pray. And so if there's any doubt in your mind this morning or any question in your mind this morning of should I pray for those who have rule over me? The answer is emphatically yes. You should pray for these people. You absolutely should. And it gives a reason for why we should do this. and so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We pray so that we can live the peaceful life that we want. That's why we pray to them. Because these governments, they can't provide that, right? It's all on their own. God is the one who can provide that sort of peace. And so we pray for our rulers. We pray for those who have rule over us and all people. He continues on to say, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved. This gives us another reason for us to pray for all people, for those who have authority over us, because God wants them to be saved. And so this kind of goes back to that, that point I was just making about criticism a moment ago, right? that you criticize in hopes of their repentance. We pray in hopes of their salvation that they would come to know the truth because that's the, that's the ticket, right? When those who are around us and those who rule over us know the truth, that's the ticket to our peace. That's the ticket to the prosperity around us when they are people who truly want to follow God. He goes on to say, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. And so once again, we pray for our rulers because we know that it is God who rules. We pray for our rulers because we know that it is Jesus who mediates. There is no other mediator. There is no other ruler higher than God. We pray to him because without him, there is no hope for peace in this world. We pray so that we can live the quiet and godly life that we want to live. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for our rulers. And the question that I want to spend The the most of our time, the rest of our time on this morning is what should we say when we pray? You know, what should I say when I am praying for our rulers? You know, uh, one of the things that we can do is we can have, you know, sort of the broad prayer. Right. We've all had the broad prayer. Please help our rulers to love God and love others. Right. There's something broad there. I've I've kind of checked the box. I've said in some sense all that needs to be said. First and second greatest commands. Right. Got, Got it covered. Hope they love, pray that they love God and love others. Well, that's not a bad prayer. I, I, by no means. So I want to say that's a bad prayer. That's a great prayer. We should pray that as often as we can. But I think that sometimes, well, if we are really caring about something, um, at least in my life, what I've experienced is I want to become more specific. For instance, with my children, I love my children. I love my children quite a bit. And because I love my children and I know my children, I know what I want them to be, my prayers become more specific than, please help my children love you, God, and love others. My prayers become, please help my children be a joy to the people who are around them. My prayers become, please help them to make their life, my wife's life easier and not harder. Please, please, God, help my son sleep. Right. Like all of these sorts of things become specifics that I pray for because I know them and I care about them and I really want specific aims for them. Right. And so whenever I have this this um, emphasis in my life that I want to pray for this, I become more specific. And with the sort of emphasis that we see here in First Timothy, chapter two, there's in some sense a need maybe to become more specific in our prayers for those who rule over us. And so how can we do that? What should we say to become more specific in our prayers? I want to to provide a, a quick example with elders. Asking the question like, how would you pray? What would you say if you were going to pray for your elders? One of the things that you could do if you wanted to pray for your elders is you could turn to the scriptures and you can open them up and you could ask, what does God want my elders to be? What does, my, what does God want the elders to be? It says there in 1 Peter chapter 5, the elders should be those who shepherd the flock, and they do it with eagerness, proving to be examples of the flock. And so whenever I go to pray for my elders, with this passage in mind, it informs me of the sort of thing that I can pray for, that I can pray for my elders to have eagerness as they shepherd, that I can pray for my elders to be good examples to the flock, by looking to the scriptures as to what a good leader is, to what a good elder is, I can become more specific in my prayers. A few years ago, about three or four years ago, this specific thing kind of happened. It was before Craig was ordained, and well, on Wednesday nights, we were going through the book of Joshua. And I remember Craig had this sermon. It was, I think, the opening sermon for Joshua. And he talked about how all the Israelites were coming up to Joshua and telling Joshua, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. And they were telling this to him and telling this to him over and over again. And Craig kind of turned this over on us and encouraged us. He encouraged us to look to our elders and to remind them, to encourage them to be strong and courageous. And that was so convicting for me that for months after that, In my prayers, I was praying to God that our elders would be strong and courageous. Because I could see there so clearly that that's what they should be. And so I'm going to pray for that. And so similarly, similarly, when we turn to our governing authorities, the question that I want to ask is, what should we pray for? What do the scriptures sort of indicate are good things to pray for when it comes to our governor, our mayor, our Supreme Court justices, whoever it is? How might I pray for them? What might I say? And one thing that I think that we can easily see we should pray for comes from what Jesus says to Pilate in John chapter 19, where where Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Here we have a teaching that gets echoed in Romans chapter 13 that all the authority that is given to these people who have authority ultimately comes from God. You know, we don't really get this spelled out. I've always kind of wondered, well, how does God, like, play a role in, like, putting people in power? No idea. The scriptures don't, you know, tell us that I know of, anyways. But God has a role in who has power. And in light of that fact, this sort of gives me something to pray for, right? It gives me something to pray for that I hope that my governor, let's go with governor, lives every day and makes decisions every day as governor in light of this fact, that it is God who is over him. I want every day our governor to make decisions. And I can pray for that. I can pray to our God who has the ability to change and affect hearts that he would change the hearts of our governor to be the sort of person who would live every day in light of the fact that God rules over him. And if it were not for him, he would have no authority at all. And so this is the sort of thing that I think that we can do as we turn to the scriptures and we ask, what should I pray for? That we can just sort of ask the question, what does a good ruler look like? What do the scriptures sort of say a good ruler should know or a good ruler should do? And when we have an understanding of what a good ruler should do, then we have an idea of some specifics that we can pray for. Then we have an idea of something that we um, can specifically request of God. But there's a need to be careful, I want to mention. There's a, need, there's a, there's a dynamic at play that has to be taken into consideration. If we're going to handle God's word properly. And actually, a couple of dynamics. One is, it's a different time and place, right? There's obviously that. But then there's the issue of like, we're in a different covenant than the Old Testament, which is where we're going to be looking quite a bit, because there's a lot of stuff about rulers. There's a different covenant at play. So we've definitely got to take that into consideration. But another thing we have to take into consideration is that the things in the Old Testament are written to theocratic monarchs, right? These are uh, uh, political systems in which they are a theocracy, meaning the law of the land is a religious text, and it's a monarchy, right? There is a king that's in place, and we live in the United States of America. It's not a theocracy. It's also not a monarchy, right? We are a democratic republic. We elect officials who make decisions and things like this, right? There's a different dynamic at play, and so we have to take that into consideration in some sense as we go to these passages to ask, what does a good ruler look like? But something that i am convinced of is that people are people and sin is sin and to some degree rulers are rulers and it doesn't matter what time what culture what political setup rulers are rulers power is power right and i believe that God's written word, his holy word to us, has wisdom for rulers at all time, at all places, no matter where you're at. And so we're going to be looking to a few passages here in order to better understand what is wisdom for a ruler, what is good for those who have authority to keep in mind as they rule, so I may know what I may pray for. We're going to start by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 through 20. My apologies if that's a little small. Deuteronomy chapter 17, 16 through 20 says, in any case, talking about the king, uh, I should quickly note, note, there's no king yet. There's no king yet, but God knows they're going to ask for a king and he's telling them how the king should not be and should be. In any case, he is not to acquire many horses for himself, nor shall he make the people return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said, You shall never again return that way. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, so that his heart does not turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he will learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully following all the words of this law and these statutes, so that his heart will not be haughty towards his countrymen, and that he will not turn away from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may live long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. So it's kind of broken up into two sections. We have what he's not supposed to do on top, and then we have what he should do on bottom. And when we're looking at this, he should write the law. Like He's going to have the law, and he's going to read it every single day. And it says that he's going to do this so that he may fear the Lord his God and that his heart would not become haughty towards his countrymen. God wants a ruler who's going to live in fear of him, and God wants a ruler who's not going to be prideful or boastful or arrogant towards those around him. And to better understand these things that are the nots, what he shall not do, I think it's really helpful to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we have the instance where the Israelites are asking for the king. And Samuel turns to them and he tells them exactly how this king is going to be. And spoiler alert, it's not good. And when we compare these two, it's really helpful. So let's read 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 18. And Samuel said, This will be the practice of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them in his chariots for himself and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to gather his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters and use them as perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and he will give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give it to his high officials and his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out on that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. So like I said, it's not a pretty picture, right? If they're crying out to God to save them and he's not going to answer, it's not a pretty picture. But I think the things that are said here about the practice of this king and how disastrous it's going to be when we compare it with what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we get a pretty clear picture of the sort of thing God does not want out of those who rule. Whenever we were looking in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we saw these things about requiring horses for himself, requiring many wives for himself, or accumulating much silver and gold for himself, and his need to not be haughty towards his countrymen. And when Samuel was warning the Israelites about the king, he told them, sorry for the small font." he told them what they would do. What will he do? He will take. He will appoint for himself. He will also take. He will take, he will take, he will also take, he will take for his chariots, for himself, for his chariots, for his horsemen, for his harvest, for his servants, for himself. You get the picture? This is the disastrous rule of a king when he takes and he takes and he takes for himself and for his own people. That's the disastrous rule of a king that God does not want for his people. And I think we can kind of clearly see how some of these same things will transfer 2,000 plus years. I mean, this is uh, 1 Samuel, right? Like 3,000 plus years later, right? How we do not want people... We do not want rulers. We don't want a governor. We don't want a mayor. We don't want a president. We don't want Supreme Court justices. We don't want congressmen who are going to be practicing these types of things, of taking and taking and taking. And so this informs the way that we might pray for our governing officials, that they would not be prideful, right? That they would not boast themselves against other people, that they would not put their own group's interests against other people's needs, that they would not pursue the lustful interests pursuing many different women, right? That they would not be power-hungry, trying to accumulate all for themselves and just gain power. That they would not seek their own financial profits. That they would not build up the military for their own purposes, right? For their own egos, their own power and unhealthy paranoia. We don't want these sorts of things in terms of our military. We don't want our government to be creating massive military structures or massive Armies just for their own egos and just for their own power-hungry selves. That's not what we want. We want to be in service of the people in humility, actually trying to do what's best for others. And we could pray that they would humbly remember their need to serve the people because that's the sort of ruler that God wants that we see. When we look at Deuteronomy 17 and 1 Samuel 8, this is what we can see God wants from those who rule. And it doesn't matter if you're in a monarchy or a democratic republic or a communist regime or whatever it is. God doesn't want rulers who are lustful for power. God does not want rulers who are takers and takers. He wants rulers who serve. And we want rulers who serve. And we don't have the power to tell them what to do, really. I mean, we can, right? I mean, our, we have amendments that guarantee our right to tell them what we want. But, I mean, what's that going to do? But we do have a God who has the power. We do have a God who reigns. And so we can pray to him to effect change in the lives of these people. The other verse, another verse we're going to look at, uh, in more detail, the last one we're going to look at in great detail, I should say, is Proverbs chapter 31. Now, many of you probably know Proverbs chapter 31 to be uh, the chapter about a the virtuous woman, right? Well, the virtuous woman chapter really starts in verse 10. The first nine verses of Proverbs 31 is really wisdom for a king, a king Lemuel, from his mother. And we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9 to try to understand what's good for a ruler, what's good for a king, what's the wisdom for the king here, the general principles. That Proverbs has to offer. Starting in verse 3, it says, Do not give your strength to women, or your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not fit, it is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire intoxicating drink. Otherwise, they will drink and forget what is decreed, and pervert the rights of all the needy. Give intoxicating drink to one who is perishing, and wine to one whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the people who cannot speak, for the rights of all the unfortunates. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. Let's start from the top. Do not give your strength to women, or your ways to that which destroys kings. What might be said here? I think we can, we can see, at least in Solomon, right, somewhere where this might go wrong. To pursue many women, ultimately to his downfall, right? Do not give your strength to women. The, the, to pursue maybe lustful interests that distract you from your purpose. To pursue those who are of the opposite sex, right? To turn it to today where we have men and women, right, who have authority. That they would not be chasing after the opposite sex in lustful ways that ultimately ends to their ruin or using their power to accomplish these ends of having this woman or this man. That's, that seems like a worthwhile thing to pray for, right? I don't want my, you know, my mayor to be so busy running around chasing after someone of the opposite sex that he or she's not doing their job. I don't want that. And I don't want them to give their way to things that destroy kings. I don't want them to give their way to things that end up ruining their authority, ruining their authority that they can use for good purposes. Continuing on, it is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire intoxicating drink. Otherwise, they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of the needy. One of the things that kings would do that corresponds more to today is that they would be judges, right? We have district court judges. We have Supreme Court judges. We have all these people who have these sorts of power, this sort of ability. And you know what I really don't want for our judges to do? To be downing the Captain Morgan right before they come and take the stand, right? I don't want that. I don't want them to be given to intoxicating drink. I don't want them to be using it like that. I want them to be sober. I want them to have mindsets that are given to the tasks that they have to defend the rights of those who need it. That they would defend the rights of those who would be taken advantage of. That's the sort of thing I want from our rulers, from our judges. Not a drunk. Not a drunk who's just ultimately going to destroy the rights of others. Sort of in contrast to using wine for their own pleasures, for their own selves, it says to give intoxicating drink to the one who is perishing and wine to the one whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Uh, This is a little bit of a challenging thing to picture, like what is going on here. Um, Well, if we just analyze briefly here, the one who is perishing, the one who's on their deathbed, we might say, To the one whose life is bitter, the word life is the Hebrew word "nephesh," which means soul. I believe this is talking about someone whose soul is bitter, meaning depressed. And we have the same sort of stuff happen today. We don't necessarily have um, our governor handing out intoxicating items to people like this, but we have doctors who prescribe morphine to those who are on their deathbed. We have doctors who prescribe medicines that would otherwise make people high or drunk if they took them because they have depression. We have those sorts of things that happen. So um, just to be clear, I'm not necessarily going to pray for our governor or our mayor to start handing out these drugs. (laughs) I don't think that's the takeaway. But I do think one takeaway from this is that this king is supposed to know the needs of the people in the worst situations and to use his resources for those needs. He's not supposed to use the wine for himself. He uses his wine for the people who need it. And I also want my rulers, and I pray that my rulers will use their resources and their power for similar ends wisely. And lastly here it says, open your mouth for the people who cannot speak for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. I don't want people just supporting their own fan base. I want them defending the rights of the needy. I want our rulers, and I pray that our rulers are going to fight for the rights of the unfortunate, that they will judge righteously. Throughout all of this, I think there's an underlying theme that comes straight out of Deuteronomy 17, 1 Samuel 8, that the king is going to use his resources and power for those in need, not for selfishness, not for foolishness, not for their own people, that they're going to use their power for others. And I think that is something that we can easily look to our rulers and say, I want to pray for them to be like that, that they will use their voice that they have, for those who have no voice. That they will use their money for those who have no money. That they will use their time who do not have the time to fight for their rights in any way. And it stands in stark contrast to using their power to gain more power. Or using their time on the stand to put on a show for the camera. Or using their time in front of other people to earn points. What if instead we prayed that they would be the sort of leaders who cared so compassionately for their constituents that they put their own needs aside and they used every ounce of the power they had for those people? That's a worthwhile thing worth praying for. And I think that's the sort of thing we should include in our prayers. Briefly mentioning a few other passages as we kind of start to wrap things up. In Psalm 72, we have a psalm about the ideal king, and we're not going to read it, but there's a few things that are said there that I think are worth drawing our attention to, that the king is going to have an understanding of God's justice and righteousness, that he will vindicate and save the afflicted and needy. and that he's going to end oppression. And again, I think we can see very clearly how we could pray for those who are judges, for those who are governors, for those who are our congressmen, whatever it is, that they would really seek to do these sorts of things. In First Kings chapter 3, we have the story of Solomon. Solomon asking for wisdom. And he ultimately asks for wisdom so that he would have an understanding heart to discern good and evil and to practice justice. And that's the sort of thing I want my, my judges to have. Right? That's the sort of thing I want my legislators to have as they create more legislation that's somehow going to do good. Right, That they would have an understanding heart. They could see what's good, they could see what's bad, and they could practice justice accordingly. To pray for this. For them. To pray for them to have that. In Proverbs 20, 26, it says, A wise king scatters the wicked and drives a threshing wheel over them. This is talking about the need for some form of punishment to not allow the wicked to continue among the innocent. Proverbs 20, 28 says, Loyalty and truth watch over the king, and he upholds his throne by loyalty. This word loyalty sometimes tra- translated mercy, sometimes translated loving kindness, okay? It's about having a, a loyal love for the people and for God. To pray that our our... You know, our, our mayor would have that sort of thing, right? But they would be, he or she would be more concerned about loving the people and being loyal to the people instead of maybe ending up in the, the news headline, right? Instead of ending up gaining more influence. And in Proverbs 29, verse 4, it says, The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a person who takes bribes ruins it. In Proverbs 29, 14, it says, A king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. These particular passages just really, uh, these are the ones when I was preparing this sermon, and I was, I, I'll tell you one of the things I did. I actively made myself pray this material in preparation for this because I wanted to, I wanted to practice what I preach and see what it might look like, okay? And these were the ones that really. Stuck out to me, and others may stick out to you, but I, I just want to briefly say something about this that I want our politicians to be the sort of people who are not going to take bribes. I mean, I, I just start feeling really weird about the way our campaigns work and the way don't, donning, mon, donating money works for this sort of stuff, right? And I'm just like, well, okay, you got to donate money to this campaign because it takes lots and lots of money to run this campaign to get elected. But then that's only for a short period of time. So who are you going to please during that short period of time if you're going to run again? Are you going to please the people? Or are you going to please the people who donated you money so they might donate you more money? Okay, These are just the sort of things that I start thinking about. Maybe you're not paranoid like me, so you don't think about this stuff. But I just start thinking about this from my cynical perspective. And I'm like, God, I can't do anything about it, but you can. And you can change these people's hearts so that they're not taking bribes. They're practicing justice. That they're not taking bribes. They're pursuing truth. I can't change these people, God, but you can. You can make it so that they're not taking the bribery of money or influence or power, but they are actively seeking to pursue truth and to pursue justice for the people. That's what you can do, God, and I know that you can do it. And that will lead to the peace and the tranquility and the quiet life that we want. These sort of passages just really ring home for me and something that we can pray for. And I don't know what it is for you. We've covered a lot of stuff. I created two long slides of bullet points of things that we could see these two from these passages principles, things getting specific to pray for our rulers, that they would know his wisdom, that they would live lives of sobriety, that they would be mindful of the legislation of laws, that they would defend the rights of others, that they would practice justice, not taking bribes, that they would really try to use their power for other people. All these are sorts of things that we can pray for because we serve a God who cares and listens. And like Mike talked about, We can boldly approach him through the blood of Jesus and make these requests. So why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we pray for our rulers that they would repent if needed? That they would repent and they would serve him and they would serve the people in truth and justice. We ought to pray for that. And to close, let's pray. Our Father, the creator and ruler of all that is, we know that we are inadequate to make change, but you are more than sufficient. That you have the power to effect change in this nation that you have the power to affect change in our community, that you have the power to affect change in the people who rule over us, whether it's our presidents, our congressmen or women, our Supreme Court justices. It could be our governor. It could be our mayor, our city councilman, the cops, whatever it is, God. We know that you have the power to affect change in these things. And we ask you, God, we ask you to change these people's lives that you would help them to be the sort of people who live every day and make decisions every day knowing that you are king and that you reign. We ask that you will affect change in their lives so they will pursue truth and justice, that they will not seek to be in the limelight, that they will not seek bribery, that they will not seek to accumulate wealth during their time in in term, but that they would seek you that they would have your wisdom, that they would surround themselves with wise counselors who really want what's best for the people. We pray that they would live soberly, that they would not pursue these various things that could destroy this nation, destroy them, that they would not pursue these various wicked and evil injustices that hurt people made in your image. We pray to you, God, because you alone have the power to make change. We lay at your feet our requests. We pray that you will help these people because you alone can. To you be the power. To you be the glory forever. Amen. If you're here this morning, I do not know your hearts. I do not know where you're at, but I know there are more prayers to be said than those for rulers. So if you're here this morning and you need help in your walk to serve Christ, we would love to do that for you. If you will have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.